This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two carbon-scored astromech droids, Tia Vasilio. Hello. And Paul Jaceley. Hey, humanoids. It is episode 321 today. We're talking about image comics. We're going to have a whole big spiel after the break in the second half. But I have one quick announcement before we get into things and I ask my legally mandated questions. Are we have a hangout coming out on March 19. So if you're listening to this episode and March 19 has not yet passed in the year 2022, you should come hang out with us on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be doing just like a big live hangout talking comics. Last time we did a big, huge chat about the comicsology stuff. If you're curious about my thoughts about that, I'm definitely ready to get on that soapbox again. But we'll probably talk about plenty of other things. Um, it's always a great time. We hang out from like 8 to 11 or however long people want to stay on. Um, it's a it's a grand time. So make sure you're there. March 19, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Now let's get into things. I got to ask you some questions, Tia and Paul. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Tia. Well, I have been fine. Daylight savings time happened. So while I'm excited to have daylight, you know, until 8 p.m., I'm very jet lagged already. And mm-hmm. of course, um, you know how cats love to change their routine. So oh, holiday absolutely. is good. Yeah, we're very tired today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but comics are good. I uh, read Captain Carter number one, which is a mini series. I think it's a five issue mini series, kind of a what if situation. What if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum in World War II and was recovered in modern day from the ice? And you know what's really exciting about this? Jamie McKelvey is writing it. Gasp. I know. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, he's a good writer. I don't know if anyone has checked out his book Suburban Glamour uh, from... I don't know what year it came out, but it was like pre-Wictive, pre-Phonogram, I think even he wrote and drew it. And I don't think he's done any writing since then. So, you know, drawing Wictive, I think kept him pretty busy. But um, he's writing a sci-fi book that was supposed to come out, but then the pandemic happened, like all this stuff. So that got delayed, I guess, in the meantime, just to, you know, keep his... uh, keep the skills up or, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of stay on the radar. He, um, we get this cool mini series. So that was very exciting. And then, um, the art is by, um, Rika Cresta and Eric Arseniega is the color artist. And I will say, I felt like it was a pretty solid story. Like you could tell right off the bat that the bad guys are going to be like the modern day Nazis, the likes of which we've seen in Britain and U.S. in the last five years. Like it's very um, relevant and the par- and it's like very obviously drawing parallels to the, the World War Two context that Peggy, you know, is from. Uh, it's. It's nice because you could tell in the first 10 pages who the villain is. The prime minister in the story is like definitely the bad guy. And so I think that's the story. Like, I think the story is going to be really similar to the Winter Soldier in the in the sense that it's like Peggy is kind of being paraded around as this like, you know, figure that they're trying to manipulate and use as the figurehead for their nefarious ends but Mm. she like is a good person and she's not gonna let that fly and so like i'm i'm getting i'm getting winter soldier vibes movie winter soldier vibes from this which i'm all i'm all for really you i i had no idea you like the winter (laughs) i'm just kidding Uh, no that's that's exciting this book looked really interesting because it feels like it's spinning out of the marvel what if series have you watched that at all tia oh no i haven't seen it but yes i think that is the what they're the zeitgeist that they're kind of harnessing here okay okay yeah cool and like honestly you you know this first episode episode (laughs) (laughs) this first issue is pretty much just like peggy adjusting to modern life and like she's recognized everywhere and at the same time you really get a sense for like how lonely she is Mm -hmm. uh and the one the one sort of like I wouldn't even call it a critique, just something that is not necessarily my favorite type of comic book to read. I feel like the artwork is pretty prosaic. It's competent. It's utilitarian. It tells the story. Uh, it doesn't have any moments where it like pulls you out of the of reading and be like, that doesn't work. But it also doesn't have an artistic point of view, really. Like it, hmm. it doesn't do much with the visual storytelling. And I personally prefer like more expressionistic, surreal painterly art in comics that like where the art is 
just as much as a part of the world building and storytelling as the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so that so yeah, but I get it. Like Marvel comics, they don't always, that's not always what they're looking for. So sure. But was it a good read? You think you'll keep reading the series? Oh yeah. I'll finish the series for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well now, you know, you're selling me on this book. I was, I, I saw it. I knew Jamie was on it. But you know what? All right, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll try it when it gets it's wrapped up because it's a limited series, right? Yeah, five issues, okay. I think. Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, cool, Paul. What about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Have you read anything good recently? Oh, I've read a few few things, uh, Mike. Um, I've been well. Uh, spring is struggling to uh, spring here in Michigan, so it's actually mm-hmm. a pretty nice day here. West Michigan Weather Report hit about forty degrees with sunshine. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it feels nice. So, um, I'm good. In terms of comics, I'm a little bit behind um, on my regular monthly comics, but um, I managed to read a few things this week that I want to talk about. Uh, one of them was Fire, the Zora Neale Hurston story. Um, this is by Peter Bagg. It's published by John and Cordley back in 2017. And it is, a, as the title suggests, a biography of the celebrated author and folklorist uh, Zora Neale Hurston. And Peter Bagg, if you're familiar with him, he is best known for his work on Hate, which is a sort of seminal 80s, 90s underground black and white comic. Um, So he's big in the indie comic scene. And Mm. what's interesting, the past decade or so, he's actually done a lot of biographical work. He did this. He did a biography about Margaret Sanger. So he's covering different material. What's interesting is that his artwork, you wouldn't think lend itself to these types of serious uh, biographical works. And um, I guess the big thing is that if you're familiar with Peter Bagg's artwork, it's very cartoonish and it's very expressive and loose in a way, but somehow it really works because it is expressive. So for this book, he gives a really nice sort of overarching look at Hurston's career as a writer, um, look into her personal life, sort of a a way of explaining her interests as sort of uh, cataloging and um, writing about the African-American experience in the early 1900s and uh, how that her personal trauma sort of reflected her political views later on in life, which were controversial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's maybe problem, what I don't want to say my, my main criticism, I guess I would say, is that the book does kind of feel very rushed. It's almost like a survey of her life. You don't really get as much sense of her inner emotional feelings as a person. That gotcha. being said, Peter Bagg gives extensive notes and um, thoughts in the back material for the book. So it's like a lot of the things that maybe couldn't fit into the artwork or the page count got put in the back. So it is a very engrossing read. I definitely know more about Hurston now than I did before I read the book. And I'm encouraged to go read her her actual writing. I know she's best known for her novel, uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God. So I'll probably need to track that stuff down. I thought it was a good biography. It, it definitely is an introductory text to the, her life, but uh, that's what I needed. So I I enjoyed it. I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I, just, I was just looking at some of the preview pages for this, and yeah. it looks, it's very colorful for a book that I think <laughs> is about a much more serious topic. Exactly. Yeah. Um, usually I wouldn't pair those types of styles together, but um, that's interesting. That's what intrigued me to pick it up, because I'm, I'm familiar mm-hmm. with Bag's work, and like knowing he's t- tackling some sort of serious subject matter made it uh, made it appealing. So I think it works for the most part. Cool. Cool. I've also been reading a lot of Batman comics. I'm that might just be a coincidence. I don't know. Um, been had Batman on the brain, you know. Yeah, we're recording a little bit of a podcast series right now, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a, a film came out. I don't know if you heard about it. They'd put another Batman film out. So, um, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. Been... <laughs> I heard that. That's like a pretty underground hit, though, right? Like, yeah, I mean, not a lot of people are seeing that. Yeah, you probably missed it in the theaters. Probably there for one weekend. So, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I heard it was like an indie chick flick with that with that guy from Twilight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know Danny's ears just perked up, so we started talking about Batman. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of have uh, been in a Batman mood. Um, I, as soon as I got done seeing the Batman um, last weekend, I ran to my well, uh, figuratively ran to my collection and pulled out three issues of Batman from the '90s. Uh, this is Batman: Dark Knight, Dark City, originally published in Batman issues 452 through 454. That's August to September of 1990. These are written by Peter Milligan with art by Kieran Dwyer. Dennis Jank did the inks, Adrian Roy on colors, and John Costanza on letters. And if that's not enough names for you, the covers for these were done by Mike Mignola. So there you go. It's an all-star team. We're talking Batman. (laughs) This is a book that, oddly enough, I was inspired to go back and reread after seeing the film because, like the movie, this is a Riddler story. And it has a lot of like horror and supernatural elements. Not that the film is supernatural, but... 
I think there are elements visually of horror films in this interpretation of the Batman. So this, it reminded me of this story. Uh, so I want to go back and reread it. This is a strange one. Uh, part of the story is that we're getting a journal entry from someone named uh, Jacob Stockman, who's one of the founding fathers of Gotham City. He's writing in his journals that way back in 1764, he took part in a black magic ritual, an attempt to uh, summon a bat demon called Barbatos. Cool. And one of the people, one of the people conducting the ritual with him was Thomas Jefferson. That's just a weird fact that Milligan throws in for some reason. Um, <laughs> what is this, Jonathan Hickman's shield? Come on, yeah, exactly, exactly. What happens though, while they're performing the ritual? They're supposed to do a human sacrifice. That doesn't work. So the bat god is basically trapped underneath Gotham, Gotham City for uh, you know whatever two hundred some years. Mm -hmm. And then in the present day. The Riddler uh, kidnaps four infant babies and is like leaving clues for Batman to come rescue the babies one by one. Um, sure. Long story short, the idea is the Riddler had discovered this journal and was attempting to finish the ritual that was begun way back in 1764. And he had the Batman go through different steps of the chaos magic ritual. And the culmination was supposed to be Batman being sacrificed and therefore becoming the embodiment of the Bat God Barbatos. Yeah, it's a weird story, like I said. And what's what's funny about it is that it does feel sort of cartoonishly gritty at times. You're talking late 90s DC comics with Batman. At one point, Batman has to perform an emergency tracheotomy on an infant. And it's like, what is going on Ooh. here? It's a little, little gruesome at times. But it's an interesting story. And I like the idea that Milligan is playing with the the idea that there's a dark force underneath the city of Gotham. And toward the end of the story, Batman actually questions like, was I was all the events of my life being controlled by this this uh malevolent force in Gotham was I being conditioned to become this bat-like creature and like it's a tossed mm. off idea but it's a really interesting one and uh you know Morrison in his in their Batman run does bring back the concept of Barbatos um so mm -hmm. it's influence on that run it's it's a strange story that I think has more recently gone back and been rediscovered by Batman fans so um you can find it it's been collected I found the the issues in the dollar bin years ago, but it's, it's a fun story. And it might be the only Batman comic to feature a reference to the reclusive author, Thomas Pynchon. So that you know <laughs> adds to the strangeness of this book. So if you haven't read I, Dark I Day, mean, Dark City, check it out. I'm hearing Peter Milligan <laughs> attached to this. A lot of this is starting to click. I exactly. Mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that sounds sounds wild. It, it, only because I love the idea of Batman and magic because the two yeah. in my mind should never meet. And yet I think <laughs> more of those types of stories exist than I want to admit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can do a lot with the character. And if you want to throw in Thomas Jefferson and some black magic rituals, it totally fits <laughs> yeah. in a Batman story somehow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, for me this week, uh, I have been absolutely busy. I've had a lot of chaos going on at work as well as, you know, trying to close on a house, you know, just little things, things like that. Uh, but otherwise, I haven't haven't been able to read much. Some of the stuff that I did read was not exciting. Two weeks in a row, not a lot of really solid comics. I was trying to read some stuff early this afternoon, stuff that I backed on Kickstarter, and it was just not great uh, in a combination of the stories were not hooking me and the quality of the digital files that I paid for that I, you know, were delivered to me for backing the Kickstarter were so low quality. I like couldn't zoom in on them to read some of the text and i'm kind of like what is this the comicsology web reader like <laughs> um anyway so that's my bad joke for the day I, I did read new masters number two though by uh shobo and shof coker uh this is an image series that came out uh last month this is a, sh a mini five issue mini series six issue mini series i think and it's a crazy sci-fi african-based story about the people people who live on earth we've interacted with these aliens called the jovians who live out by jupiter and um they are kind of like the rich folks of the universe now and everybody on earth or at least in this area of africa are kind of just trying to live life with the hopes of getting out into space and living life um out there uh, among one of the, the the greater folks and if you have jovian blood you're more likely to get like immigrate or allowed to be immigrated to these this area and get like put into this life of, of prosperity yeah i don't want to really go into the details of this book because i think it's really cool like i think what i've told you there is pretty much the summation of what should get you into it and but the thing that really has driven me to this is that i feel like the the story of this book has all the potential and makings for a story that can be really depressing that is trying to say like this commentary about the rich will destroy the world and there's nothing you can do about it and that's kind of like a lot of 
dystopian stories they they don't really find a way to circumvent that this this feeling of despair that exists in worlds like that i mean even that exists in today's world for a lot of people and i think what's interesting is that shobo has been able to as the writer side of the story has done a great job of fleshing out characters to the point where you can see that despite all of the hardships that they live with there's hope and there these are people who have a lot of drive and a lot of sense of culture and a lot of sense of Understanding that despite all odds, they will still be able to live a life that is happy because they have each other as like friends and family and as a community. And I feel like, I don't know, you don't see that in a lot of books. It's a lot of stories of just like solitary individuals who don't have anyone else. And if they do, they still feel extremely isolated. I, I really love that this book has focused on telling the story of not only the main character, this young girl, but also her family and the community that she lives in and how they are dealing with this overall thing that's happening with these alien folks. There's a political element to the story that's wasn't touched on an issue too. But really, I, I love the idea of like a kind of or a potentially convoluted, complicated story being grounded page after page after page to ensure that you don't lose the thread of the story, which is that with friends and family and community, um, you can survive anything. So yeah, I, I would say don't sleep on this book. Collect it when it gets collected um, or start go go back and grab those back issues. But yeah, this book is, is killer. Like the art is amazing. The story is well written. And yeah, I, I was really just impressed overall. Like I remember sitting in the middle of issue two being like, oh no, they're going to introduce even more <laughs> plot threads and I'm going to get lost in this thing. But they managed to circle it back to all of the, the, the core moments of the story so far. Um, without losing you so i really appreciated that because like more and more image books like this i think happen like i could name a handful off the top of my head where i've been like oh my god i have to go back and reread all of these books <laughs> because i don't understand what the actual core story is why didn't you just publish a graphic novel this doesn't work in a serialized format yada 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 the problems that you know we talked about a million times on this show but new masters is great and i think everybody should read it so hmm. yeah that's my pick of the week from this past week Nice. I know you've mentioned this, but you've mentioned this book before, and it did sound appealing. So thanks for reminding me. I will. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool story, man. I I am um, like it's only been two issues, but like I really really like it. I think this is going to be one of those books that you're going to see the collected edition win awards. That's that's Mm -hmm. my my guess for the future. That's going to happen in uh, next year's Eisner's. But um, yeah, let's uh let's move on. Let's talk about comics that are on the top of your pile, whether they're new comics or old comics. What are you guys reading next? I'm going to kick things over to you, Tia. So um, I've talked on the show a little bit about like, first of all, why I had such a long hiatus. And and even since I've been back, like it's been really hard for me to read lately. Mm-hmm. Like I've just had focus issues. I've been having tension span issues, but I have been kind of easing back into it. And um, I've been reading um, some nonfiction and there is a book. It was the 2021 Eisner winner for um, best scholarly work in comic space. It's called The Content of Our Caricature. It's by uh, Dr. Rebecca Wanzo, who uh, I actually TA'd for her in grad school and learned probably more TAing for her in that one class than I did in like most of my grad seminars, just about how to like think about the world. I don't, she's amazing. And I keep in touch with her. She's the only person from grad school I keep in touch with. And so I'm super proud of her because like, I mean, I knew this book would be awesome when I heard about it. I actually DM'd her and I was like, you're going to win Eisner. And then she did. So I mean, but (laughs) it was, it was not surprising to me because that's just how smart she is. Anyway, Mm. so this book, I, it looks at, kind of the nuances in African-American cartooning beyond just like this is a positive depiction and this is a negative depiction. It kind of looks more at the at the nuances and, and how people used that to show uh, like a visual language of American identity and to, you know, like critique American identity and racism and uh, like all of that stuff. So I am really looking forward to reading this. And if anyone out there listening is interested in in reading kind of more academic uh, books uh, about comics and wants to chat, like hit me up on Discord or Twitter or whatever, because I'm I'm getting back into it myself. 
And then also, um, a book came out actually this past week, but I haven't read it yet. So it's at the top of my list, Little Monsters uh, by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen, which yeah. uh, it's like little vampire <laughs> children, I guess. I don't know. I mean, like, I love vampires. I love Dustin Nguyen's art. I mean, Jeff Lemire is great too, but you know me, I'm I'm an art ho. <laughs> Nick's ears are burning somewhere right now. Like, you just said Jeff Lemire's okay too. He's, <laughs> He's about to get on Discord. <laughs> He's fine. Um, and also, it just like, I literally just just like had a core memory hit me when I saw the title of this book. Nick because... just jumped on Discord and said, here I am. I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> I'm sorry to you. Continue. Um, does anyone remember a movie from 1989 called Little Monsters that had How- uh, Howie Mandel and Fred, Fred Savage, Savage in it? Oh, yeah. Yes. No. What is this? <laughs> Slash, you you told me we were going to talk about this before we started recording, and I looked at the cover (laughs) for the movie, and it is so absurd. It's so (laughs) absurd. It's about, like, a little boy who discovers that monsters under the bed are real, and there's this whole, like, intricate society of under-the-bed monsters, and, like, there's all kinds of rules. It's almost like fairies, like fairyland, Mm -hmm. where there's, like, really strict rules about when when you can access certain realms and what you can do and like things will happen to you and if you get trapped in the realm of the little monsters by sunrise then you turn into one okay Um, yeah so like this and so like they have just moved the family has like just moved and the kid's getting like picked on a little bit at school so of course there's like the fun montage where he's like going around like popping into his bullies houses and like tormenting them at night a little bit which i guess Sounds really creepy now that I'm saying it out loud, but in yeah. the 80s, <laughs> things were very problematic. Things are different. <laughs> yeah. People were a little more feral. Kids could, yeah, do stuff like that, I guess. But anyway, um, yeah, it, I don't know. Like, I just, I, that I, me and my brother loved that movie when we were kids. I have never seen this movie before, but it has <laughs> every inch of, like, everything that I'm seeing on IMDb looks like I would love this to death. And I yeah. can't believe that I haven't seen it. It's like this and Power Glove. Like, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> There's a whole genre of movies that just doesn't exist anymore that used to exist in the, like, 80s and 90s, which I could just loosely describe as, like, children having adventures and, like, being endangered. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? I mean, The Goonies being, exactly. like, the Goonies. definitive movie exactly. of that. Yeah. Yes. Um. This, I can't believe that both Ben Savage and Fred Savage are in a movie together. Yeah, well, they play um, brothers. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, okay, this this is, <laughs> I know what I'm doing tonight. Yes. I'm watching this movie tonight. I Randy Quaid is in this? What is happening? <laughs> Daniel Stern? Or Daniel, mm-hmm. yeah, or Daniel Stern. Why did I say right. Randy Quaid? I don't um, know. <laughs> I always get those two confused for some reason. Strange. Anyways, Tia, thank you for showing this to me because I did not know it existed and I'm very happy to know it does now. <laughs> I'm dying to know if Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wen are referencing it in some way. Mm. Well, let, well, let's get them on the show and figure that out. Yeah, we can. Um, we can only hope that way it can be part of the movie club. So yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, we'll we'll work on that. But for now, t- Paul, what is what is on the top of your pile? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I did not go to the comic book store for a couple of weeks. I finally made it back there this past weekend, so I have a big stack of stuff to get to. Sitting right on top of my to read pile, literally is Love and Rockets number 11. It came out nice. about two weeks ago, so I'm finally getting around to it. Um, yeah, so you get another issue of Love and Rockets. What's kind of nice is that, you know, the the Hernandez brothers are putting out an issue, like three issues a year at this point. So just enough to keep you anticipating more. You know what I mean? It's like they keep teasing you like, no, we're still here. We're still doing mm-hmm. the best comics of our career 40 years down the line. So um, uh, yeah, I should also mention that 2022 is also the 40th anniversary of Love and Rockets. So um, it's pretty amazing to actually be picking up a new issue and having, again, I think Jaime is doing some of the best comics of his career. His artwork is even better. It just gets more and more impressive that they've been able to keep up this this level of work for this long. So um, last time we checked in with Maggie, she was a befriending a girl named Tonta, who is a student in uh, Ray Dominguez's drawing class. And of course, Ray Dominguez is Maggie's on again, off again, love interest. They're pretty much living together at this point. Mm-hmm. So initially Tonto was jealous of Maggie, but they've, they've entered into a sort of uh interesting friendship at this point. Uh, he, uh, her Jaime is also doing a sort of sci-fi B film comic strip called animus. That's been running for the past few issues. Um, meanwhile, I still have no idea what any of the Gilbert stories are about. Um, they're basically <laughs> just like, it's the most convoluted uh, telenovela 
type story mm-hmm. that I can never keep any of the characters straight to the point where every issue of Love and Rockets at this point basically has to have a sort of family tree of all of the characters in Gilbert's comics so you can keep them straight. So um, I don't Amazing. know. That that being said, I always love reading this stuff. It's always a treat. So I can't wait to dive into the newest newest issue. And who knows? Maybe at some point we'll have to do a look at the retrospective look at their stuff since to celebrate the 40th anniversary. Yeah. I mean, this year feels like a lot of strange anniversaries are happening. Yeah. Um, do you know if Fanagraphics is doing like a special 40th anniversary like thing for them or or maybe that they haven't announced it yet? Uh, yeah. Not that I know of. I mean, what's nice about Fantagraphics is that they keep all of this stuff in print. You know, they, yeah. they've yeah. throughout Love and Rockets, the, you know, existence, they've always been able to keep it all in print. It's very easy to pick up the paperback collected editions of this stuff. So mm-hmm. it'd be nice for them to do a sort of uh, a retrospective type of thing. But there's so much material already out there that I couldn't reimagine really any, you know, new stuff they'd be able to publish for the 40th anniversary. So. Gotcha. gotcha. So it, if nothing else, it's a good opportunity. If you somehow haven't read Love and Rockets yet, now's your time to do it. Reach out to us and we can give you some of Paul's recommended reading for that series too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, for me this week, I guess before I get into mine, because I, I, you know, for some reason I keep forgetting to shout out our discard folks. They're, they're amazing people that are hanging out with us live as we record. Um, we've got a bunch of people this week. Danny is looking forward to reading Batman Superman World's Finest Number One by Mark Wade and Dan Mora, which like... I think I might pick this up because Dan Moore is on art. I think that looks exciting. Paul G is looking forward to the Book of Forks. Hannah is going to be reading Wonder Woman Historia number two and is currently reading a bunch of Paper Girls, which I believe they said was the most overrated series they've read, which I'm like, we might have to have a conversation at the next hangout. (laughs) Jeff's reading Batman 665 and the Good Asian. uh, And Nick is going to be reading Sword of Hyperborea number three which I, I don't know anything about that. But my guess is that it's a it's a Dark Horse book, probably from uh, Mike Mignola. That's my guess. Um, <laughs> we're going to see. Uh, here we go. I knew it. I was right. Hellboy adjacent is what Nick says. Obviously. Exciting stuff. But for me this week, I am looking forward to reading a book that I got in the mail most very recently called Burn the Witch Volume 1. Um, those of you who are big manga heads out there uh, might know that this is a tight Kubo or Tite Kubo like joint uh, it's a story that takes place in the bleach universe for anyone that's read that um i got a the 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 reason why i bought it instead of reading it digitally is because i saw the collected edition look really nice it has a really nice sleeve the paper is outlined in black um it's overall just a really beautiful collection that i think viz did a great job of um and i always like to see viz actually going the extra mile for some of these books that are just kind of one-offs or standalone miniseries and stuff um so i'm really excited to read this because this takes place somewhere in the bleach universe after a certain issue after or before a war happens blah 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 i can never keep the chronology of bleach together in my head but i uh i definitely want to read this because i have been missing bleach like that's a weird thing to say i haven't read bleach in a couple of years um, but i keep seeing clips and pieces and little things and i'm like man do i i told myself i was going to read naruto this year but i might just go back and reread bleach and because i love bleach like say what you will the story's not perfect and it honestly it kind of flounders in the end and it just gets rid of all sorts of really interesting things that kubo introduced and then completely forgets about but overall talk about like amazing character design and when the story is really good it is probably some of the best manga you can ever read so i don't know we'll see <laughs> but i might i might just sit down and and just just get another staple in in the belt for uh i don't know that's not a phrase but i might just read another one of the core you know manga tree or books that are out there so, so i might just read naruto and mm-hmm. if i find time maybe i'll reread bleach you know just 700 plus chapters no big deal um <laughs> i read one piece so anything's possible i'm gonna come yeah. back to that a million times over and over <laughs> anyway so but yeah this this uh burn the witch looks really nice though like the physical edition of this is like super high quality and i i really really appreciate that so yeah we're gonna take a quick break though when we come back we're gonna talk about a retrospective a personal retrospective um for images 30th and anniversary which is this year uh so we got some factoids danny wrote in a nice letter and uh, we got we're just going to talk about image i'm really excited about it so we'll be back in just a second this week on i read comic books we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of image comics that wonderful publisher that publishes probably a book or two that you're reading 
regularly, or at least you were at some point in your life. If you're out there not reading Image Comics, I have a question for you. Do you not like diversity in comics? That's not true. Um, <laughs> but do you want something that's just not capes and superheroes? I guess that's not true either. But you know, if you want some other comic books that are not published by Marvel and DC, Image Comics is the place to go. So today we wanted to talk about that. We wanted to talk about how I, Tia, and Paul, we all got into Image Comics because I think we all started with Big Two Comics and then at some point Image Comics became a staple to, for us. So um, I guess, Paul, let's let's start with you. How did how did Image Comics <laughs> get into your mind and, and what happened from there? Well, uh, Mike, I'm old enough to remember when Image Comics was founded um, mm-hmm. back in 1992. I was not uh, as in tune with comics at that point. I was reading comics mainly Batman comics. Um, so very little has changed in the past 30 years, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I remember, you know, sort of hearing about image, but the thing was all the image founders at that point, it all worked for Marvel. And since I didn't read any X-Men titles, I didn't know who Jim Lee or I'm going to blank on all their names or Jim Valentino, Rob Liefeld, Rob Liefeld, the gang, the, the whole crew over there. So I wasn't super familiar familiar with their work, but a few years down the road, when I was a regular reader of uh, Wizard Magazine, they did a lot. Wizard did a lot of uh, heavy lifting to promote Image Comics and those creators. Uh, Spawn mm-hmm. was a huge, huge uh, pop culture, not just in comics, but pop culture hit. Um, I had some, I had Spawn action figures before I read any Spawn comics, but around that time, probably 94, <laughs> 95, I started, you know, being more in tune with that stuff, a little bit older. So I remember buying some issues of Spawn and eh, wasn't really my bag. But right. being a 13-year-old boy, um, I was very interested in Gen 13. So that was kind of the first image <laughs> book that I was buying regularly at that point, buying a lot of Gen 13, reading that stuff. And mm-hmm. honestly, I didn't really think about image that much. I knew it existed, but it wasn't really my bag until uh, down the road when I got back into comics about... I don't know, 15 years ago or so, and I started mm-hmm. uh, seeing that they were doing more stuff than just, uh, you know, bad X-Force ripoffs and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Gen 13 books. So that's yeah. kind of where I got back into comics and started following creators and sort of admiring the sort of the breadth of the material that they're publishing over there. So, gotcha. you know, I, I'm not, I don't read um, everything they publish, but I'm always curious about what they're putting out at this point. Yeah. I, I only laughed earlier because... <laughs> Um, you saying that you bought a spawn action figure without mm-hmm. no, reading any of the comics means that you were the perfect person in Todd McFarlane's eyes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Todd McFarlane is, has always ever made books for 13 year old boys. So yeah, right, I was right in the target audience. And it's funny too, because like as a kid, I read a few comics, like literally three. One of them was ElfQuest <laughs> and one of them was Gen 13. Oh, wow. Um, oh. Yeah, briefly, like not super, you know, I didn't follow it really closely. But as you mentioned Gen 13, I had just pulled up the Wikipedia to see like, was that image? Yeah. Of course. Of course it was. Uh, well, Tia, how did you get yourself set in in the world of Image Comics then? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people, Marvel was is like a gateway drug into comics. Sure, um, sure. And so and there was a really great moment in Marvel history, the Marvel Now era, where I, I feel like a lot of... And I say great, you'll, you'll understand in a minute, uh, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. of something that that Paul said, which is like, you, you know, Image was a place where you could follow creators. And I think that, that what a lot of creators did that was so smart during the Marvel Now era is they built up a following it through like a really easy access point because so many people have access to and like are aware of Marvel through the characters. And then... Once you got hooked on the create, like on the creator through their writing that your favorite Marvel character, they were like, oh, by the way, come read my like experimental acid trip book I'm publishing over an image. And you're like, <laughs> I'm on my way, you know? <laughs> so I think that there was like for a while, this really cool kind of like big two to image pipeline where they would build up their following writing for big two and then they would go do their own thing at mm-hmm. image. And that's mm-hmm. what really kept me like, that's what really got, got its hooks into me at image is that it just, it, it was more about following a creator and following their own artwork, their own ideas kind of. Um, and they were able to like, succeed or fail on their own merits rather than like well this is the shittiest x-men book ever but i'm never gonna not read x-men right. not to call right. anybody out right. on this particular <laughs> podcast yeah you know whoever would do that what an idiot 
<laughs> what a doofus. <laughs> and to be honest with you, a lot of my core memories around Image Comics are around conventions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that era was also the Valkyrie moment, which we right. should do mm-hmm. like a postmortem of the Valkyrie moment one of these days because it had a lot of problems. But at yeah. the time, at the time, served a purpose and mm-hmm. connected a lot of people to this day some of the friends that i made in those moments are like they're still my dear ride or die friends like mm-hmm. you know it, and and through through like everyone knows my entire comic personality is like the wicked of the divine right so i mean <laughs> but i genuinely met people through our connection to that that are my like most dear friends at, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and 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 I think again that comes down to creators having the freedom to make their own for lack of a better word product that's not what I mean product is a terrible word um, yeah but it's like a brand thing and it's it, like you start to put marketing words into it it starts to sound gross but I, no, I understand yeah. the feeling that you mean by it though like you know just for for wicked for the wicked and the divine specifically like you know, Kieran and Jamie and and Matt also like they took their young Avengers Loki fans, right? And they they brought them over to Wikdiv mm-hmm. with you know a Tumblr where they posted all of the fashion influence. Uh, we had a cosplay uh, Tumblr that I ran um, that was like not. That was not affiliated with them, but I mean, like a lot of people ended up like sort of gathering their cosplay ended up being a huge deal that they and they really like supported that. Mm-hmm. Um, we had panels where we would all we would all get together afterwards for pictures. Like there were wigdiv parties, so like they really cultivated a community around the book, and like you wouldn't do that for your Marvel book. It's not because mm-hmm. not yours, you know. Right. There's a lot more like I. I again we're, we're we don't have the right terms for these but these are the terms that we're going to use like there's a like a grassroots movement of community that i think exists around of a lot of these image books and it's it's so weird because i think that that era of like 2007 to 2012 <clears throat> there was like a lot of creators that were either moving from marvel over to image or whatever and i mean we still see that to this day like folks will get their start at marvel or dc and then they'll do an image book or something like you know you see people like ed brubaker and sean phillips um or just ed brubaker in general doing a lot of work at marvel and now exists solely at image and panel syndicate because of i think a lot of the popularity of his book there um but there's like a there's like a weird like homegrown feeling that you get out of a lot of those books, especially at that time um, where there wasn't this plethora of a zillion I- independent publishers, right? We mm-hmm. didn't have your vault comics and AWA and Scout and Ahoy and all these other like Black Mask and smaller like teeny tiny publishers. Um, instead, it was like you would go to Image and then you could really kind of do well for yourself there um, and you can build this niche community. And I totally agree with that. I, I I remember witnessing it happening from the outskirts of the world in in Michigan and being like, I could go to a convention <laughs> and see that, you know, and you go to yeah. Chicago Comic Con and you'd see the people that are really starting to circle around these different properties. And um, I'm, I'm going to use this unless you had more to say on that, Tia, I will circle use back. This, yeah, to, to try to springboard where I was going. My thought about this um, was. You know, I would shop for comics before I really got into buying single issues. You know, I would shop for comics at Barnes and Noble. And at the time, I was trying to buy every X-Men under the sun that Barnes and Noble could get for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, everything from Grant Morrison's run onward, I was trying to collect all of it because I have that completionist mindset. Um, I still do to a certain extent these days, (laughs) but nowadays it's... It's like, you know what, man, I'm just going to read whatever I read and people can just deal with it. But yeah, I, you know, I started to buy comics at Barnes and Noble. And I remember seeing on the shelf when I ran out of X-Men books to buy, or they just didn't have the next volume of something because I didn't understand how publishing worked. They were stocking this book that had zombies on it. And at the time, zombies were really cool. So I think this is like 2006, 2007. Like I was going right into college and I grabbed all the volumes of this Walking Dead book because it looked kind of good. And I was like, I'm just going to buy all five volumes because that was how I shopped at the time, right? And it, you know, it was it was great that I picked it up because uh, the thing that that image did at the time is they would put these inserts into their books that said, hey, if you like this book, you should follow all of the other Kirkman books. And here's Battle Pope and here's Invincible and here's Astounding Wolfman. Now, Battle Pope, you know, we've talked about that on the show a little <laughs> bit. Uh, not does not hold up, you know, 20 years later or 
15 years later but uh you know invincible went on to be probably one of my favorite comics that i ever read and you know for all of its problems and you know you can with hindsight looking back on it maybe it didn't wasn't as great as i thought it was but um it's still like a great independent superhero book and if i hadn't had that little insert i would have never known about it and i think because of that i started googling well what else has this person done and then i started looking at other books that i was reading what else has this grant morrison person done what else has this chris claremont person done um because i didn't know at the time but it really inspired me to focus more on creators and image being like exactly what you said to you they were really pushing you to follow a creator follow their books and image was the place where you could pick a lot of that stuff up and you could see oh this person drew this book oh they moved on to another you know comic later what else did they draw and image happened to have all these different things and i liked that there was a time that image had just kind of like a circle of like 50 or 60 creators that you could kind of bounce around if they weren't doing like a forever ongoing they were maybe doing a six issue miniseries that you could then follow them to maybe they bounce back over to marvel but then they would come back to image to do another book um and i think that kind of brought me to how i read comics today where i'm like following a creator and then seeing what else they're going to do next um at at some independent publisher now it's like boom is an option or vault is an option or you know a dozen other you know publishers but you know it's because of that time in like the early or mid 2000s that like in late 2000 early 2000s whatever you want to call them late aughts i hate saying that out loud but um <laughs> that you could you, i built this mindset about how to follow creators and that's kind of stuck with me ever since yeah it is really interesting how, you know, image starts with the founders basically, you know, they established their cred at Marvel, most of them, right? And then they built up a fan base and then they go somewhere they can own their own properties. The idea is like, well, why am I creating all these new characters that I don't have any, you know, financial stake in? I can go find my own company and own all it all own all of it. But even then, those early founders like Liefeld and McFarlane, their idea was to create brands, right? They're establishing mm-hmm. Youngblood and Spawn to be franchises of their own. There's still the mentality of that's what comics are. It's really interesting that back then it was the idea that you work as an independent publisher or you make your own comics to finally make it to the big leagues of Marvel and DC. Now it's like image has become the thing where, no, you work for Marvel and DC, you know, earn your stripes there, then come to us and do the stuff you really want to do. It's almost they've inverted, Mm -hmm. you know, what the company was founded on in a weird way where it's like, you don't, you don't start small to get to DC and Marvel. You work there to get to be able to do the comics you really want to do at image. So I think it's a really, and I feel like that was happening at that time period you're talking about. That's really when that shift happened. Yeah. I mean, I also think that there's there's something interesting to be said about, you know, the original idea of Image was to, you know, start these brands and franchises that you could yeah. spin out to a million different things. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of comic creators don't necessarily want that, right? Like you get that person every once in a while. You get a Robert Kirkman, you get a, a Kyle Higgins, right? But do you think that something like Bitch Planet was meant to be spun out into action figures and TV shows and, you know, like a zillion little offsprings, you know. There's that, that... tons of merch for Bitch Planet. What are you yeah. talking about? Well, no, but I mean, like, was the goal to, like, turn it into, like, a, a multi-million dollar franchise that, like, uh, I don't know, that you Look, could get a credit card printed on, you know, with the, no, with the Bitch Planet logo on it? Yes. You know? I mean, listen, no creator on Earth doesn't want that. I guess, yeah. You know, and yeah. and and frankly, like, the, actually, this is a really interesting point that you bring up because the model, the the Todd McFarlane model that we've mentioned, right, where of like the toys and, but also, yeah, like the franchising that a lot of those early creators were trying to do. You know, Bitch Planet actually did do that in a different context. And the idea that um, this entire group of like women in comics mobilized to the point that there Mm -hmm. was like the Valkyrie image bump. If Valkyries liked your book and hand sold it, like Mm -hmm. there are, there are articles that people wrote looking at the sales figures of how that impacted these books. And um, yeah, like, there were, and so a lot of the merchandising that you saw come out of that was geared toward that audience, hmm. right? Like, yeah, they don't want a bitch planet toy, but there's bitch planet jewelry, there's bitch planet leggings, there's right, bitch right. planet like. We all got tattoos. I have one. That's uh, my true. mom got one. So I mean, like, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess the way that I was, I was thinking of it is like, 
I was more thinking more the the direction of like action figures and commercials and like buy this for 1995, you know, like mm-hmm. the weird commercialization of that thing. I think, again, this kind of comes back to the like homegrown community oriented type of growth of something versus the like massive commercialization. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you're right. Creators definitely want that because they want to be able to say this is successful and monetarily successful, not just popular. Creators um, can't innovate if they are struggling to meet their basic needs as a human being of food yeah, and shelter yeah. and healthcare and <laughs> yeah, all of that. Yeah, so, like, yeah. yeah, like I think that that living the Im- image dream is definitely like optioning your property and getting that sweet, sweet TV movie money Mm -hmm. for something and then having a little breathing room to make other things that maybe are more experimental or more like, you know, maybe less commercially popular, but you have an audience that you've built who trusts you, who follows you, who's like willing to go along with you on these weird places that you want to go. And you have, built in the financial stability through your more commercial ideas with bitch planet specifically like there's really no such thing as feminism and capitalism so Mm -hmm. there's always that irony to it right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) right yeah i mean to kind of like spin off the idea of that being somewhat ironic you know when you talk about the early days of image where it was those founders Again, their idea was to get out away from work for hire for Marvel and DC. But the first thing they do is they all establish their own imprints and need to hire people to do the books for them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Liefeld founds <laughs> Extreme Studios by hiring a bunch of kids to, you know, do the interiors for the books for them or do the finishes on these books. So it's like, mm-hmm. it was a way for younger creators to get a job in comics, but they end up working the same way that you know, Liefeld and McFarlane hated working for Marvel. It kind of like mm-hmm. almost was a parody of Marvel. That's the way it looked to me at the time, like kind of seeing the stuff from afar. And again, like a lot of those books aren't good. Like, I mean, like yeah. Youngblood's like not like a good comic. Spawn's not necessarily a good comic, but like what they did was, I think it's interesting is that image, the founding coincides with the big speculation boom in, in comics where it's like they were able to tap into a market and say, Hey, these are collectible. Look at all these new number ones we're doing. Look at these variant covers. Oh God. Luckily, everything's, <laughs> luckily everything's moved away from that to some degree, more or less. But like, there's a reason Marvel, well, there's a reason image, sorry. There's a reason image was able to be successful right out the gate is because it coincided with that very strange moment in comics. Where uh, suddenly, like the idea of a Wildcats cartoon made total sense. You know what I mean? Like yeah. nowadays, yeah. it seems silly, yeah. but at the time, of course, Jim Lee is going to try to get his stuff on TV. No, it definitely was ti- like a, the timing of everything made a lot possible. Yeah. Also, I you have to imagine how much of Wizard Magazine's revenue was ad buys from Image, because like every other page is an ad for an Image book, and they were talking about how yeah. great these Image books are and how exciting the you know sure Youngblood number one was delayed for like a year, but it's coming soon and it's going to be a big one. So it's like mm-hmm. there was some, there definitely was some uh, payola going on in my. There had to be at that point to get that stuff on everybody's radar. Yeah. But but nowadays we don't this there isn't necessarily like a, a wizard. I mean there's a CBR, right. there's a bleeding yeah, cool or whatever. But like yeah. um but again, those are it's weird because wizard was like catering to anybody who was at the supermarket and happened to see a magazine, whereas yeah. like bleeding cool, CBR, comicbook.com, these are just catering to an existing <laughs> like fan base, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm curious to like I, I don't know, it, it's it's weird because things have changed, but at the same time you still see some people like Robert Kirkman and Mark Millar. Uh, you know, selling these properties to studios to get things made, right? Like Amazon has done great by Robert Kirkman in terms of turning his (laughs) stuff into actual, you know, marketable, sellable, popular um, content beyond the comic books that they're based on. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think the thing that makes those properties great, especially in Kirkman's case for the Invincible show, is that it's very, very, very close to the comic book. And to me, that like is pleasing as a fan of the Invincible series, but also to know that you don't have to do what they've done to like every other comic book property that's been made into like a different media and yeah. change the story dramatically. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's bits and pieces of the Invincible show that they, they switch around and maybe remove, but also like it feels like from the episodes that I've seen, it's like, man, I just read volume one. I just read volume two. I just read volume three, um, which is really exciting. But um, you have to be really careful with that. It, I think that you have to be really clear about what you're trying to accomplish with 
your TV show. If it's, if it's to make the fans happy, then yes, do that. If it's to widen your audience, that's not usually a good way to do it because, you know, like the mediums are, you know, formally specific in a lot of ways and some stuff like, well, it doesn't translate that way. And so it only works if the, person watching the show already knows what's happening what where they're going like what the what the point of view is yeah true so true um like and i but and i think that particularly that core group of founders were probably pretty precious about things in some respects but then you have shows like (laughs) the walking dead where i mean i don't know i stopped watching it somewhere around the third rape cult but like (laughs) i have no idea how closely it tied to the comics which i also stopped reading at a certain point because like nothing should go past a hundred issues good lord (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the tv show for walking dead i i watched it probably about the same length as you did but I read the comics of like issue 100 and I just was like, man, there's so much. You got another hundred in you, Kirkman? Really? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and the show, you know, went on for for a while, too. But like it's still like the, but though the, they changed things to a certain point on the show to where like people were still like frothing at the mouth for that show, mm-hmm. you know, even into the late season. And so there's like the spinoffs. Mm-hmm. my like mom's show, friend was on one of the spinoffs it's it's crazy that that walking dead like that single comic series has spun out three different tv shows yeah right like that is i mean kirkman success story right there independent success story this is why <laughs> he had the gall to sit down and be like brian michael bendis come debate me bro before that was like a meme on the internet <laughs> yeah. yeah well i mean it's interesting because as far as i know uh it that was jim valentino was one of the the founders of image and he became mm-hmm. publisher in like 99 or 2000. And mm-hmm. one of his goals was to really expand it beyond the pet projects of the founders to really find some innovative you know, young creators to let them do stuff they really want to do and kind of cultivate a more, a more broad collection of comics. And I think Kirkman was one of the first people he hired or gave a contract mm-hmm. to. So it's like Valentino really broke image open from being, here's our little thing that we are doing to stick it to Marvel to here's a place where creators can come and experiment. You know, you're a creative, right. like, you know, uh, uh, open ground, so to speak for, for creators. And I think, you know, Eric really Stevenson. smart to do that. Exactly. It completely changed not just the company, but the landscape of comics, you know, completely. Like, you know, I think they stopped doing them after a while. But I mentioned Image Prom, but Image would always have parties at cons that people could mm-hmm. buy tickets to, and you they would sell VIP tickets, which essentially meant that you could go to the places where creators would be hanging out. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, yeah, it was funny actually. Um, Image Prom was really bad because there was this. It was a venue where there were there were two separate bar areas, and you were only allowed to have drinks in your in the bar areas. But you couldn't go from one to the other while holding a drink. There was like security <laughs> that would stop you, okay. <laughs> and so like all of the VIP like people were on one were at one bar and then people you know so like people would like try to mingle back and forth but they wouldn't let you so it just ended up being this like zoo situation where you had all these creators like in a pen drinking like downing their drinks as fast as they could to try to walk around (laughs) but like I remember there was a party. They used to have parties at the like that bowling alley for New York Comic Con. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, and I so I think that like the idea that uh, you know if you go to the Marvel booth at Comic Con, they're going to have the Marvel actors, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're because they're selling the characters. If you go to Image, it's about the creators, and they trot them out as the talent for these parties that they used to have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's you know the the thing that I think we can we can say across the board has stayed consistent at Image is that they've, they've always pushed their characters over, or excuse me, their creators over the titles and characters themselves, right? Knowing that no story is, with the exception of like Spawn, I guess, um, <laughs> is is you know ever present, but the creators will always be the people that make Image what it is. And like I think Paul, you you started to touch on it, like Eric <laughs> Stevenson really slingshotted you know, image into the future and in pulling in this like quote unquote big talent in comics and also making sure that the publisher was finding um, folks that weren't necessarily these just got off of a huge uh, big two run and in finding folks that were still like up and coming and maybe they'd publish indie comics and now 
they're getting like their for- first big published comic at Image. Mm-hmm. And you can see that across the board. Like if you look at the last decade and a half of Image's publishing um, since Stevenson took over, like they've always been able to find like a big name as well as a couple smaller names. You know, like I don't think I would have ever known who um, uh, shucks now I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the zero, the, the comic that was called oh, zero, Alish Cott. I don't think I would have ever read Alish Cott had zero not been published because I had, you know, was also reading a ton of other image books at the time, like all the criminal stuff. You know, what's um, funny about that is Alish Cott's Marvel work is fantastic. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. But it is so freaking weird. That, I don't think that he had Marvel work until zero came out, right? I don't know. I, I, I have to did, look at the timeline on that, but he did Secret Avengers and he did a Bucky Barnes run like a 12 issue bucky barnes Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. but Um, still um yeah but the the the, at the end of the day it's it's like image still pushes their creators and it's because of things like this image prom or the image after parties and stuff where you can really feel like that sense of culture is there whereas marvel and dc stuff that you know the handful of bits and pieces that i've seen and attended always seems to be on their properties and it's always about their properties and everything is oriented around the properties themselves and image will also scoop up indie books that have been published for years and then republish them like Mm -hmm. lady Mm -hmm. mechanica's one that they just that like that's been around for ages um mm-hmm. copra i think is another one yep they gotta pick up tarot witch of the black rose i feel like that <laughs> needs more of an audience exactly exactly it's kind of funny because i remember you know even when i was younger reading comics in the 90s i kind of like tuned out of superhero stuff but i was reading a lot of dark horse and reading madman which is published by dark horse and when i got back into comics you know, 15 years ago or so, all of a sudden Madman's being published by Image. You know, I didn't expect that. But yeah, like you're saying, this idea of like mm-hmm. finding stuff. And, you know, even nowadays, I'm, I think one of the more recent sort of discoveries I've had in comics was that book, um, Hedra, that Jesse Lonergan did yeah. uh, two years ago. And like, that was a book that kind of just came out of nowhere. All of a sudden it's on the shelves. It's got an Image logo on it, but it looks nothing like Image is push- publishing at the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a weird standalone uh, one shot that kind of just felt like something brand new that I'd never seen in comics before. So the fact that they're able to kind of keep their ear to the ground and find weird stuff like that, while at the same time attracting the bigger names, uh, is is pretty pretty impressive. You know, right? What do you guys think about this new policy, which I know is informed by a lot of the stuff going on in the world right now, where they're not going to do reprints of anything? Like personally, like for <laughs> personally, example- I think it's Image <laughs> trying to scooch into the fucking speculator market again and say like sorry guys you if you didn't get it the first time you're never getting it again but i'm like also i'm also the opinion that single issue print copies should die and that yeah. they should only ever print collected editions but that's Same. just wow. that's just me yeah i agree i mean then there's you know there's a paper shortage and right. there's all sorts of reasons why single issues are annoying and unsustainable mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a fair point but I do think that it's going to hurt people because, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, I mean, the whole model of get your pre-orders in, like, is fucking stupid. So there's a, okay, we're an hour into recording and <laughs> Tia decides to open this can of worms. Okay, we can, um, we can put a pin in it and talk about it in, on another <laughs> episode if you want no, to. I, I, I don't mean to, to be a jerk about it, but like, I totally think that it, it's interesting to see Image taking this stance on one hand i agree i do think that reprints are kind of annoying and kind of problematic because they create a strange culture in a comic book shop if you're only shopping at a comic book shop where you're like hey look a new number one and then the person at the register goes oh no that's actually a reprint of number one that came out last month um you might have actually already bought it not thinking because the cover isn't clear that this is a reprint of number one it's just got like an image on it with nothing on it i hear that's a problem that some comic book shops have Hmm. um but at the same time i understand them trying to represent the print shortage image is not the person that is the problem with this it is marvel that in dc who are the problems with this you don't need 50 variant coverage you don't need reprint of number ones for six printings like i get that that determines the growth of sales but like i, I like the the answer Make to them that, as prints yeah i don't know i just yeah. i just get frustrated because i'm like it's if this book was popular in in the first place 
there should have been like some sort of indicator that there so there wouldn't be a shortage like when you end up with copies of what's the furthest price from here selling out before like anybody can even go to the shop and get them like yeah. that's like a systemic problem of <laughs> of measuring success in the industry um and the problem is that there's no shared information between digital pre-orders and physical copies um which could be an indicator as to how popular a book is going to be um that's a Wow, that's a whole other <laughs> yeah. industry-wide I, problem. I don't even know where wow. to start with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But my thought is that this is a bigger topic, but I, I am happy to to talk about it now, but just to to this extent. Um, if Paul, I don't know what are your what are your, what's your take on this. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I have a take, honestly. I mean, like, okay. I, I okay. still buy, I still buy single issues. I go to the shop, but I also get my previews order in as soon as I can to make sure I don't miss out on anything. So, that yeah. said, yeah. I'm not as precious of a collector. Where it's like, if I miss a number one or if I miss a series, I'm happy to wait for the collection. I'm happy to read it digitally if I miss out. Yeah. So to me, it's yeah. the story is important. I like reading physical comics, you know, more than digital, but I don't need to. You know what I mean? It's, I'm not mm-hmm. a collector in that sense or a speculator. Thank God. So, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine if just suddenly like tomorrow you just start showing up to episodes or Tia, you start showing up and being like, I'm only collecting mint number ones in slabs. Like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it is, it is very funny to me to to go into a comic shop, having been someone that bought comics during the speculator boom and then sold off my collection, you know, after I graduated high school to go back into comic shops and see the books that I really thought were going to be worth a lot in the dollar bins to seeing all those Mm -hmm. death of Superman comics, all those issues of, you know, whatever, like young blood, number one or whatever, just selling for a quarter, you know, and it's, it's kind of like weirdly heartwarming in a way. Cause like, Oh, now I can buy all the comics I used to have when I was younger for pennies on the dollar. So, right. (laughs) Paul, you're playing the longest game in comics right now. I love it. (laughs) I mean, what fascinates me about all of this, and I do think this probably is a topic for another day, but it's like, especially going back to what we're saying about image really putting itself forward as a like place to follow creators. It's like they want to be serious artists in a medium that is ephemeral. And so they find ways to kind of mediate that disconnect. And I think that they're, that's fair. Like that, that is a fair concern. And I think that, you know, I, I support the effort to, legitimize what they do as like art that is worthy of being like engaged with as something more than I found this in the dollar bin. I'm going to throw it out tomorrow. Like whatever I read it, I'm not engaging with it that deeply. Like, but I, but, but this is not it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's very, it's very, yeah, this is, this is a whole other topic that I feel like I could, I could spiral my brain on, but yeah, this definitely, I agree with you is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um well i guess to wrap things up i don't know do you guys have any any final thoughts i do have a letter that i want to read from our good buddy danny actually before we oh yeah let's wrap do up that here. so yeah. danny wrote in because he knew that we were going to be talking about uh image and uh which by the way if you want to get some information in advance you can always check us out on patreon at the five dollar two you can get schedule updates on top of all the exclusive content that we offer there so you can see what episodes are coming up like a month in advance which is really cool uh, but danny wrote us a letter uh, i'm gonna read it real quick He said, although I was never an Image Comics original reader, I have always been aware of the brand of Image Comics from the 90s. And I think to see the evolution of the company and the brand just expanding its horizons beyond just like, quote, cool comics by popular artists to more of an open platform to just give creators a way to perform their own art. It's pretty incredible. And it's just really fun to follow along. Although I don't think I'll ever buy as many image books as I do superhero stuff, image is always something that I'm always keeping an eye on for the pull list. So I'm very confident to say that in the past five years or so, there's not been a Wednesday where I didn't pick up at least one image book. Some of my favorite books are from image that just that just things that i love like the walking dead which is the longest indie thing that i've read saga which can only be done as a comic all the criminal books by brubaker and phillips for that uh that for some reason are now more appealing in my 30s (laughs) which i totally agree uh the radiant black universe which combines my love of superhero and super sentai uh image images of big are a big part of my pull list and just my overall reading experience so hopefully they're here for the long run 100 agree with that danny like it's definitely always a thing i check on wednesdays before i even get on the show what's image publishing this week what's a new number one or what's a new number two that i maybe missed last month <laughs> um yeah you know that's mm-hmm. i definitely feel that it's really interesting to me again i've been reading comics basically as long as i can remember so 
you know, to me, it's always been big two stuff that dropped, brought me into the medium. And then, you know, that's always been my start, but I know so many people that are just as big comic readers as I am that got their start reading comics in college, have never picked up a Batman comic. Could you imagine? And only know stuff <laughs> and only read comics because they found saga or they found paper girls or they found yeah. walking dead. Like it became a new, uh, Endpoint for a medium that I want everyone to embrace and love. So, knowing the images out there doing the good work like that to get more different comics in front of more eyes is it's always touching. Definitely. Um, well, thanks for writing in the letter, Danny. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, as always, you can folks can send us an email ircbpodcast at gmail dot com um, for upcoming episodes, or if you just want to say hi and say what's up, uh, maybe throw a scathing remark or a compliment. Uh, we'd prefer the latter, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, any final thoughts on, on Image's 30th anniversary? Uh, Tia, I don't know. What, what are your final thoughts here? My final thoughts are that we need to support creators doing their own independent work because that's how, what's going to push the medium forward. That's what's going to give us more diversity in not just creators, but also readers and just like in general, I think, promote overall health for the comic book industry. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Paul, what about you? I don't think I could put it any better than Tia just said. So yeah, I 100% agree oh, with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, I definitely appreciate everything that Image has done, and I am, I'm with both of you, or all of us, everybody here. I think we're all in the same mindset that we hope that Image continues on to allow for creators to create books that they both love and can be con commercially successful, hopefully both um, at the same time. So uh, next week's episode is going to be me, Kara, and Brian talking comics, hanging out a little bit, and likely we're going to tangent on Star Wars at some point. That's just what happens every time we get together. Um, it's one of those our, our new famous no-topic episodes, so look forward to that next week. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Tia at Portrait of Madam X. You can follow Paul at Oh Hi Pauly. And you can follow me at Mike Rappin and the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and the good old TikTok. This episode first aired on Patreon and is made possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and the upcoming A Better Batmobile. Uh, you can do that today over at patreon.com slash IRCB Podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show. I think five stars is a fair rating. Do that over at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts because we deserve it. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Plus, you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week. There's a link to our Discord in the show notes. And podcasts grow best when their awesomeness is spread by word of mouth so why not tell your friends family your local comic shop about ircb infinity shred is the best band in the universe they do all of our music and we can't thank them enough xander is a very cool guy who makes us sound extremely cool every single week he edits the show i want to say thank you to paul and tia for hanging out with me and recording today's episode thank you to nick and danny and hannah and paul g and jeff for hanging out with us in the chat you people are amazing and thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show and sh shares it and tells everybody you are just absolutely fantastic human beings. Until next time, comics are good, and so are you.